Much happens at Christmas. I don't have to tell you that. That's why you're tired. Uh, Much happens at Christmas. There are parties, there are gatherings, there's decorating, uh, there's traveling. Some of you may have to look around the room and ascertain that some of you have traveled, to be sure. Uh, Others of us uh, perhaps have some travels coming up. Uh, Maybe you are the recipients of some guests in your home, if uh, not today, maybe in the coming days. Obviously, in the shopping, the giving, the receiving of the gifts, there's a whole lot that happens at Christmas. What's it about? What is it all for? What is it at the center, the core of, of all of this? If we're not clear on that, we really have missed a whole lot. And it really is everything that we've been singing about thus far. Uh, I, I, I hope, just a quick aside, uh, not to rabbit trail on you, but I do hope that perhaps we've got at least two songs, maybe three left in the schedule for tonight. Pay attention to what we're singing. Let the shock value of, of that, you know, the things that they, they're coming from your lips, that you're saying, you're singing, and if you want to, this is a great exercise from time to time, just stop singing and just listen to what the people around you are saying. And let that kind of course over you just a little bit. Let, the, let, let this hit, let me this hit us afresh. Well, okay, so what is this about? This is about the birth of Jesus. This is about the coming of the King. The King of the kings, the Lord of the lords, the long-awaited Christ, the the promised Messiah. This is God. God in the flesh. This is the creator, sustainer, upholder of all things, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying there in a feed trough in the most humbling, we would be better to say, humiliating of circumstances. This is a wondrous event. We're speaking here of the birth of Jesus. Think back to, well, I can't say I think back to my own birth. That would be a little exaggerated. But what I know, (laughs) what I know about it in July of 67 was that uh, President Johnson did not come visit. Queen Elizabeth did not come visit. Yes, she was queen back then, too. Um, The king of the day, Elvis, he did not show uh, either. There really was not a lot of fanfare when Richard Schwartz arrived on the scene. Rarely is there, frankly. Um, Nor should there be. And there there certainly wasn't a whole lot going on then. It wasn't as though the greats and the powerful... And those who, who had the, 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 the control earthly, in an earthly sense uh, in their hands at the time. There was no great response from the great, is what I'm trying to say. Not at all. Nor should there have been. Jesus shows up, and on the one hand, nobody notices. But on the other hand, you have to say, everything notices. It's an interesting tension there. Um, I'm not going to read the text that was just read from Matthew 2. Again, we, we did just read it. That's where I want to drill for just a few minutes here tonight. In particular, the star. The star and how all creation took notice when its creator showed up. 
Before we go any further, let me pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Savior, King, Matchless One, Christ, Messiah, God, Lord, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would please give us in this moment ears to hear. Um, what's really great in many respects is that so much of what we've been reading and singing is so familiar to so many of us. What's really bad is that it's really familiar. And we can all become numbed to this. We really, really need your help to hear these things afresh tonight, that they would go deeper than they otherwise could without your work and our hearts. You, the one who came for the likes of us, who for whatever reason has us here, in this room or watching online in this moment you have all of this in your hand us in your hand this moment in your hand somehow the one who has all those things in his hand is there was there in that moment that night lying in a manger the smallest of hands we ask that you would help us here we pray contemplate and live out of these things perhaps as never before. We pray in your name. Amen. There is so much here in Matthew 2. Matthew 2 verses uh, 1 to 12. And if you just kept reading, so much here. So many topics that you could really spend so much time on. Uh, the Magi, right? Uh, not kings, just so you know. Um, magi, magoi, the, uh, the Greek word there. Um, they were astrologers, astronomers, wise men. That's a whole other sermon. It's a whole other study. Who are these men? What's going on there? Herod, this king, uh, and his tyrannical rule. Uh, the, the, such history there with this man. And he's such a prominent figure in the drama as it's unfolding. Um, there's so much to be said there. We're not going to talk about it. Those, those uh, characters in the... Uh, the story, uh, we're going to talk about a star. The star that uh, is Matthew is mentioning here. Now, unless you've been under a rock the last several days, you should have heard something about this thing that, that I think it was Kepler actually some 800 years ago called the Great Conjunction. Okay? That's this deal earlier this week where Jupiter and Saturn, from Earth at least, looked to be one degree smaller than your, the width of your pinky. Uh, they're up in the sky. Extraordinary. You know, when I looked at it with my naked eye, I, I, it looked like just one bright light. But, you know, I got the binoculars out and some of you had telescopes. That's great. I'm envious. But, you know, so you looked at that and then you saw two and perhaps you saw the, some moons and it's just astonishing. And it, it, here's even more astonishing. Though it looks like it's distance of your pinky, they're still millions of miles away from each other and from us. 
Extraordinary thing, this alignment of Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, last time it happened was 400 years ago. But from what I gather, because of the position of the sun, nobody on earth could really see it. So then you have to go back 800 years ago to the last time that this was seen. And in the press and in the news, this thing has been labeled, this event, the Great Conjunction, some of you have heard this, it's been called the Christmas star, right? And, and there's actually maybe something to that. I'll get to that here in, in just a minute, okay? Um, a lot of conversation, a lot of speculation. There always is about the Magi, Herod, the star. Uh, there's such rich history there, and it ties in very well with, with what we see here in Matthew. But when it's all rightly understood... When it's all rightly sifted together, it tells us something about Jesus' rule. When we come to rightly understand how the Magi come into play and how Herod comes into play and how the star comes into play, it all ultimately boils down to Jesus' rule. Let's go a little further. Jesus' rule over all. Over all. And because he is the ruler of absolutely all, our lives should be given over in worship and service to him with our all. It's just, it's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. Hard as that may be to hear and to live out, the connection between those facts are inescapable. Because Jesus truly is the ruler of all, and in this case, just talking about the star, the ruler of all creation... We're talking about the Magi. We could talk about how he's the ruler of all nations. That's another message, another time. But right now, we could certainly say he is the ruler over all creation. And with that in mind, oh my goodness, we should be worshiping, serving him with our all. I'm going to break this down into two points, basically. What we can know and what we can learn. Think about the star, all right? What we can know, that's worth knowing, actually. And what we can learn from this is very much worth learning. All right, two very basic points, all right? It's Christmas Eve. I, I, I wouldn't want to do three, wouldn't want to do four. Nobody wants that. It's just two, okay? Just two. So um, under the, the umbrella of what we can know, we need to start, though, with what we don't know. What we don't know for sure. Now, just let's just be honest. Putting the cards on the table, as far as a star is concerned, what was it? We don't know. Now, there are a lot of great theories and some of them are really good and may well be right. But when it comes right down to it, be careful of anybody who says with absolute certainty, we know exactly what's going on here in Matthew 2. Be very careful because we really don't know. Uh, again, lots of great theories. Let me give you some. One is the planetary conjunction theory. Actually, Jupiter and Saturn. Okay, there was one that took place, I think it was in 6 or 7 B.C. is what we call it. It could well have been that. That combined with, perhaps, perhaps, a comet. That perhaps, also, or maybe independently, a, a nova, an exploding star. Okay, these are all theories that brilliant uh, astronomers through the years have put forward, trying to do justice to the text and thinking it through and getting their maps out and running simulations and all these sorts of things. It's, it's, it's possible. It's possible. It's, it's possible that maybe there was some combination of, you know, maybe, maybe, because the Magi were in fact ancient astronomers, and we know coming from the region of the world they did Persia or Babylon, that was a big thing in the royal courts 
They're watching the stars all the time, okay? Um, possibly that conjunction got their attention. Possibly, all the more so because of a comet or a supernova. Maybe, we don't know. We do know this, that there was also because they're not just astronomers, but they're astrologers. Okay, so, so one has to do with reading the stars and understanding their movements, and the other has, is, is this idea that you can discern your future and meaning and significance and your life and all these things from the movement of the stars. They're two very different realms of study. Well, the Magi combine them in both. Because of the constellation in which these things are happening, it t could have told them, whoa, royal figure pertaining to the Jewish people. Something's happened, okay? And off they go. I'm giving you some, you know, broad brush strokes in terms of the combination of these theories. But it's quite possible that that's what's going on. At the same time, because of the way Matthew speaks of this, it seems as though there's something going on here beyond the natural. In fact, just to be honest with you, there have been some ancient commentaries who, uh, commentators who've said, frankly, they thought it was an angel. It has nothing to do with star conjunctions or planetary movements or anything. Possible. Possible. Anyway, but when you read, for instance, in verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Well, eh, that seems to be stretching a little bit, right? A purely naturalistic explanation as to what's going on here. And if that bothers you, I'm sorry it bothers you, but let's be honest. There's a lot of supernatural stuff going on surrounding the birth of Jesus. Hello, angels. Virgin birth. Announcements coming in dreams. There's a ton going on here already that's supernatural. To say nothing of historical precedent of the Lord guiding his people in such ways. Case in point, ancient Israel and their wanderings through the wilderness, the pillar of cloud by day uh, and fire by night, right? Just some things to consider. That's what we can know. Okay, that, I said it was a two points. I've already covered two points. Look at this, we're halfway through. Um, what we can know. What we can't know, what we can know, there's something extraordinary going on here. Here's what we can learn. Some things about this king that this star is appearing is pointing us towards. Some extraordinary things that, this, that, that all of this is pointing us towards. Lessons about who this king is. First, his reign. His reign over all creation is being teased here, pointed here. That its appearing is coming in conjunction with his arrival tells us something about his reign over all creation, all the cosmos, you understand. This is not a street light. This is not just a flare that somebody sent up. This is a... Something in the heavens, oh my goodness. From the highest to the lowest, his reign over all creation. The Magi, oh, were they wise men? Yes, they were. Especially as we see them referring to this, whatever it was, as his star. Because we know elsewhere in the scriptures, 
that indeed Jesus is very, the second, second person of the Trinity, the Son himself, is integrally involved with creation itself. Is it his star? Absolutely his star. He made it. And everything else. And absolutely everything else. These men, whatever else they did know, likely are speaking far more true and more accurate than they even could have known when they said this is his star. Nobody would have believed it at the time, but it was true of this one. Born there, laid there in a manger. All right, his reign. Something else. His redemption. So his cosmic reign and his cosmic redemption as well. He has come to renew all things. As the Apostle John says in the book of Revelation, in the course of that vision, Behold, Jesus says to him, then relaying it to us, Behold, I've come to make all things new. That's how big, that's how huge the sweep of this renewal, of this rescue, of this redemption, this mission that this Savior, this Christ, actually, actually really is. Can I just put it this way? I don't mean to knock you and I off of our thrones. Well, I do. This, his coming is not just about you and me. It's about everything. It's about everything. Absolutely everything. Think, think with me when you, when you hear the prophets, the Old Testament prophets anticipating his coming, speaking of as a consequence of his coming, rivers flowing where there was once nothing but desert. Gardens flourishing where once there was nothing but drought. Now I know in many ways that is imagery, but that imagery is meant to point us towards something. The renewal of the whole cosmos. Including us, but not exclusively us. And then Romans. Paul's words in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verses 20 through 22. Listen to what he says. He's talking about the fall, but he's talking about more than that. For the creation was, subject, was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So you see, what's happening here is that the Lord of creation, at His arrival, creation is responding to Him. It's responding to Him and His arrival just at, at His birth, and we see it 33 years later with His death with the earthquakes, with the darkness. It shouldn't surprise us, given who He is, as the ruler of all, the ruler of all creation. Let's think about some impl more implications of this. Let's roll this out, okay? What do these things tell us? What we, not only what we can know about that star, but what we can therein learn, given that now we know he's the creator of all, he's the Lord of all, it tells us that every issue is a gospel issue. Every issue is a gospel issue. Nothing is outside of his control. 
and nothing is outside of his concern. Every issue is a gospel issue. Let's talk some other things to consider. Creation has a future. Creation has a future. The physical matters to God. The physical creation matters to God. Your body, my body, what we call nature, the earth, matters to Him. He made it. He supplies for its, need, his, its needs. He sustains it. He entered it. And it's so precious to Him, He's coming back one day to fix it. So, every issue is a gospel issue. Creation has a future. The physical matters to God. We matter to God. Every area of your life matters to God. Every area. There's not a single... There, it is the worst thing in the world that we have done to create this wall, this dichotomy between what's sometimes referred to as the secular and the sacred. As though what you do on Sunday, all that, that's what matters, but what you do on Monday doesn't. That's the worst thing in the world. It's one of the worst heresies that we've seen come in, in recent years. Every issue is a gospel issue. Creation has a future. The physical matters to God. We matter to God. All of life matters. You know what that means? It means that we can be so bold to long for the day when this world will finally be wiped clean of all disease. You're wearing the masks, right? This gets very practical, doesn't it? So no more coronavirus, no more cancer, no more physical problems, no more psychological problems, no more disease, no more empty life, no more broken relationships, no more poverty, no more injustice, no more racism. All of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. Redeemed, renewed, fixed, because we can know that, we can, we, can, we can dare to long for such things and dare to labor towards them as well. Because who controls all things and who is concerned about all things? The Lord himself. So we can dare to long for these things, for that day, and dare to labor towards them as well, knowing who's got our back and who longs for them more than we ever will. How did creation respond? Think with me. How does creation respond to the coming of, of its king? With a beacon. A beacon of light in the dark night sky. A, a, a sign of anticipation and trembling as to who has come. As to who has come. Because he, the Christ, is the ruler of all creation and he has come. Some of you know, I can't believe it's been this long, six years ago, I uh, was uh, given the uh, means by which to go on a trip to Israel. And one particular day, we, we did go to, to visit the Church of the Nativity. This is actually in January, so it's actually kind of, it was just after uh, the Eastern Orthodox uh, traditional celebration of, the, of Christmas. 
Um, so we visited the church of the nativity there in Bethlehem. It's built on the site where it is believed that Jesus was born. I'll come back to that in a second. It's interesting if, if you've never uh, seen any videos or pictures or anything like that of this, uh, of this church, the church of the nativity. To get there, you approach this big wall. Very, Stephen Lee, you'd love this. All the eclectic architecture. Of course, you've seen it, right? Yeah. All the eclectic architecture because of the, over the course of years, all right, as this church has been built upon and torn down and rebuilt and all, all, all these things. So to get in, there's really only one way. And you, it's this low door. And any normal-sized adult has to duck to get in because many years ago, the Crusaders built stone over through most of the door to keep uh, the Islamic um, warriors from riding their horses into the church. So they built, made this door really, really small. So to get in, you have to, a human being is only room for one and you have to duck to get in. So you enter the church and there you see this altar and you just throw out your Western sensibilities as like what you think a church like this would look like. Oh, it looks nothing like you think it's going to look like because of Eastern Orthodox and all kinds of other things in play there. And so there you are and you come, you, you're walking towards the altar and if you want to really see some things and then you go to the right and you descend some old, old steps and there you go beneath the altar. And the reason you're going beneath the altar is because it's said that that's where the cave is. The cave where Jesus was born. A cave that is roughly some 14 yards by 4 yards. And there on the floor is a, is a star. Uh, and and in, written in Latin are the words, Here Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. Now, three quick things. First of all, that could really have been the site. It could really have been the site. If you want to hear more about what, what the arguments are for that, I'll be glad to entertain that later. But this actually could really be the site. Second, if it is, I guarantee you it looks very different than it did when Jesus was born there. Like nothing like that, okay? One last thing. The symbolism is beautiful. The only way you can get there is by going low. The only way you can get in there is by going low. Just like we read the Magi did. Bowing low. Stooping low. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I'm not saying there's any intentionality to that. I don't know. Maybe there was. But oh my goodness. For us, still today, what does it mean to come towards Him, to be in relationship with Him, Love, trust, obedience, submission, service, worship. And trusting the whole of ourselves to this great creator king. The king, the ruler of all creation and all the nations who has come for us. For you. you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming for us. 
Thank you for the extraordinary reality that we're talking about here. This passage, this glimpse into what happened in time and space. Yes, long ago. With implications for it right now. Oh, we pray that you would encourage and embolden us in these things. Amen.